You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Heartbeat. I'm your host, Cindy Bright. Tonight, we're going to continue our conversation um, and dialogue around the attack on Black women. There's been so much happening week to week to week to week, um, and we've just been talking about it over and over again, hoping that we get some attention from people in position of power to help address this system of the attack on Black women and Black people across the country. Before I introduce in our guests uh, this evening, because we just are getting through our primary election and I can't wait for you to hear uh, two of our black women candidates who have gone, they're going into the general election, but we wanna talk about what their experiences have been on this journey. I wanna highlight something that's all over the news today around um, one of the, he's a former state representative, but he now, is the secretary for the Department of Children, Youth, and Family Services. Ross Hunter is his name. Let's pull up this uh, article on what's going on here. Ross Hunter, uh, there has been a movement by the labor union, and I believe there was about 47,000 people who have signed uh, in this union, who have signed and demanded that Governor Inslee fire Ross Hunter immediately. Now. Isn't it interesting, the things that they're saying in this article, I encourage you to read it, about his ignorance around black issues, black children's issues. Remember the uh, predominant group of people that that organization serves are brown and black children. So of course we have a white man in charge of it. And the words that they're saying in this article is that he's ignorant, that he doesn't listen, that they've been trying to talk to him about things. and. You know, we see the similar thing happening on our national scene that once these guys get into power, the ability to get them out of power tends to be very difficult. Now, in this situation, I believe he's in an appointed position. And I don't understand how we would fire Dr. Karen Johnson, chief equity officer, over breathing the wrong way. And this many complaints are coming in about this man. People have demand, like they've had to go so far as to get this many thousands of signatures to be able to get him out of office. This is fundamentally a problem across this country, a, a problem with these elected officials who are quick to fire us as black people and as black women for literally breathing the wrong way. And someone like this can be abusive. I had my own encounter with Ross Hunter when I ran for office, and the term I would attach to him is bully. And so I can only imagine what uh, the organization has been ex experiencing with him. And I think, you know, Cindy Bright says, Governor Inslee, deal with it now. I want to show you a clip on what the rest of the country, the National Black Caucus is saying about attacks on black people. Let's show that clip. Black people are under attack in America, but we are not victims and we are not powerless. Our fundamental rights are under assault and our very history is being denied. But we will not stand by quietly as it happens. The goal is to condition this generation to white supremacy. 
because they see this generation is pushing against this far right wing fascist ideology. We want our freedoms. We want our people to be safe. And so seeing that as an existential threat to the Republican Party, they aim to change the way a generation thinks by changing what we teach them. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus did not hold back at a press conference on the state of race in America earlier this week on Capitol Hill. The group highlighted a slew of right wing attacks on blackness and civil rights, like the ideologically driven Supreme Court ruling that put an end to affirmative action. The challenges to voting rights and equitable redistricting seen recently in states such as Alabama and Louisiana. The onslaught of book bans and revisionist curriculum standards for teaching black history. And the lack of action to address the black maternal mortality crisis in a post Roe v. Wade landscape. In the words of Congresswoman Terry Sewell of Alabama, old battles have indeed become new again. Yeah, old battles are new again. Let me introduce then our guest for this evening. Uh, I've chosen to bring on uh, Mary Anderson. She is an attorney in Snohomish County. I think we just had some Snoh uh, Snohomish County elected official on last week. She's running for a judge seat in the Superior Court. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Mary, welcome to Heartbeat this evening. Um, and I also want to introduce then uh, Jamika Scott, who is running for the Tacoma City Council. Both of these women have made it through the primary. So let me just woohoo and high five the both of you for making it through primaries. Myself and a couple of my co-hosts um, have also run for office. And so we are acutely aware of what this process is like. I did want to give you an opportunity to talk to our audience about what your experience has been um, in running for these seats. Mary, I want to start with you. Um, I believe you may be experiencing some of the horrific attacks um, against your character and the playbook. Let me just turn it over to you and let's hear from you about what your experience has been because you're in this for another two months now to get through the general election. So can you talk to us about that? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy, for giving me this opportunity, this platform to really express what has been transpiring in my race. It saddens me to report to the general public that I have been attacked by my opponent. My opponents have characterized me as a Black, life, Black Lives Matter advocate, that I am a social justice warrior, and that I go after police officers, quote unquote, for police brutality. Additionally, my opponents have attacked my character going around the different parties, letting them know or claiming that I am incompetent. I don't know what I'm doing. I let criminals roam the street, that I don't deserve to be a judge. I don't know how to be a judge. And the final statement that I've heard was, I need to wait my turn. <laughs> that is, that's a very popular term in the political circle to oppress and keep black women um, from obtaining power. Um, Mary, did you want to elaborate any more about um, those attacks and what what is actually happening to you in those attacks? Um, 
Right. I, I do. I, I really do. So what's happening is I it, it appears that I always have to sit here and defend myself as a Black Latina woman. And my, you know, my opponents, they don't have to ever defend themselves, but they want to place this burden on me to always having to defend myself. But I just want to let the people, the voters of Snohomish County know that my name is Mary Anderson and I'm for all people. I'm running to be your next judge as the people's voice because everyone deserves a judge that is balanced, experienced, fair, and for its people equally under the law. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, Lat Latino, it doesn't matter your sexuality. It just doesn't matter. I am here for the people and that's why I'm running. I have judicial canons that I must uphold. So we're policed by the Judicial um, Conduct Commission. And so under our judicial canons, we must be impartial under judicial canon one and two. And it just saddens me how my opponents want to cast all this negativity against me when in fact we are running to be a judge and in some cases are a judge, and in my case, a judge pro tem, and I am supposed to uphold the integrity of the office. And that's what I'm doing. I can't say that so much for my opponents. Yeah, I appreciate you explaining uh, that. Uh, Jamika, well, I wanna hear from you. You are running in Tacoma. Um, I don't know if your experience is similar or contrast it with Mary's, but I, I think you have a story. Would you like to share that as well? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you for having me on. And I, there are definitely similarities. I mean, I, I feel that oftentimes what's happening is that I'm just, you know, I'm being pigeonholed by the way people have seen my, um, I guess, just my presence in my community in general. Uh, you know, a lot of people have labeled me different things, whether that's an organizer or an activist or whatever. Um but now that I'm like in this political space, there's a lot of people who are taking the time to use that, um, you know, just the way in which the the media plays into this very um, monolithic narrative of, of black people. And so kind of taking like the worst parts of that, like boiling us down to to one thing and trying to use it to, you know, and so, you know, I've done one of the things that I'm, I'm most known for in Tacoma is being the co-founder of the Tacoma Action Collective. We're a small, like, grassroots organizing collective that, um, you know, really, we just got together as people who are from the city who wanted to make a difference to uh, be a platform for change for people in the city. And so um, I don't think that, you know, fighting for people's rights and and saying that my life matters in the lives of of millions matter as well is political like I, I feel people choose to make that politics and so now people want to call me a politician um but with that has just come a lot of assumptions a lot of people who want to say things you know it every, i try not to read things about myself online um but every so often you know things come across and you you can't help it and so just some of the stuff i've been hearing about myself is kind of wild people you know i've People are saying that I'm crazy, that I'm dangerous, that, you know, I'm I'm open to allowing people to legalizing people to use meth on the sidewalks. Like nobody's ever asked me a question about meth. Like it's so it's just very interesting. And and it's gone even, um, you know, to things like people lying about stuff that's easily provable, like people saying that none of my stuff was uh, printed by union shops, which is, you know, a big deal in general, but especially during campaigns. And so 
um, you know, and it caused a lot of like different unions to stop talking to me and uh, and just things like that, where none of it has been based on my actual character. It's all just been based on like the ways in which people have, uh, you know, radicalized the black identity, especially the black identity of, of black women. So, mm -hmm. yeah, how how are you know, I, how are the both of you doing? Like, you know, I have had, you know, different black women on and all of us. Uh, tend to talk in the lane of, you know, we've we've had to grow up with these narratives painted about us and more. We've had to grow up with people believing this stuff and not questioning it. But it is taking its toll on many of us. And so, you know, how are you doing personally? Like, you know, how are you doing? Like, how are you faring through this? Because you guys have another two months to um, have to deal with the attacks and they're just going to get worse and worse the closer you get to election time. So tell us how you're doing and then offer, is there something we as a community can do to support and help you in any way? Mary? So for myself, you know, I'm doing the best I possibly can. What I usually do is work out and do meditation to help me through and process the things that are actually happening to me, the attacks that are coming my way. And the truth be told, I look at it as, as a gift. It is a true gift that keeps on giving. But for these attacks, I wouldn't be as strong as I am. The adversity that I experience, I am so grateful that I do because it makes me a better human being. And I can actually help others be better human beings because I know exactly what I have personally lived through as a black Latina woman. And so, yes, it's hurtful, but the truth is if they can't run on their own merits, they have to attack someone and um, they're attacking me. But I'm so thankful that I have all the credentials, all the qualification, all the experience to know that I'm going to be the next great first black female judge in Snohomish County. Mm -hmm. And then I just ask honestly that people call me, ask me the question, sit with me. I'm 100% I'm transparent and I want to bring that transparency to the court. So call me, ask me anything and I will always tell you the truth. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mary. Jamika, did you have some thoughts you wanted to add to this? Yeah, um, I wanted to definitely say that, you know, the one of the things that's gotten me by is, is really when you know people are saying things or um just going out of their way to kind of you know demean my character the one of the things that's gotten me through is remembering like they're doing that because it's a threat like the only thing they can do because i'm a threat like the only thing they can do is come up with things that aren't true um that are dog whistles to the community that they're trying to like turn against me um, whomever they feel their their audience is when they're doing these things. Um, but I would say like for the most part, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing all right. I have um, a lot of great people around me who remind me to take care of myself and remind me to like, um, you know, just let it out, but but always refocus and and remember the work and what what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to get done. Um, it is unfortunate because, you know, a lot of this stuff just takes, it just takes so much time away from like getting the work done and being the best person I can be because, um, you know, a lot of it, I, I let like just, you know, somebody says something, I, I don't want to respond to everything. I'm not going to sit in the comments of a Facebook thread and get into an argument about you with you about me. Um, 
But I, you know, I think that one of those things is just like what Mary said, like, I'm, I'm here. I, um, I'm in the community. Uh, my email is available. My phone number is available. Like, um, I'm not going to argue with you about things that, that you've heard, like I said, on like in a Facebook thread, but if you have a legitimate question for me, or if there is something you heard that is concerning, um, I'm always here to have a conversation with you. I hold space for any and everybody in the city. Um, but I, 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 you know, I just can't allow disrespect. So part of taking care of myself has been like being selective about when I engage people's negative opinions, but also making sure that I am setting those boundaries. So people know that you're not just gonna, you're not gonna get away with this. this these are not the things that I'm going to allow to happen because that's part of the reason why I'm running. I'm, I'm running to break up all of this messiness, all of this pettiness that distracts us from getting the work done because people are literally dying. Um, and so really my main ask for folks is just get in touch with me. If there is an event that I'm holding, if there's a community event that I say I'm going to be at and you have a question, whatever it is, pick up the phone, call me, just give me a chance to, to let you meet me authentically um, before you make your judgment. That's all. That's all I ask. No, I'm not even asking for you to vote for me. I'm just asking you to hold the same space for me that I'm holding for everybody as well. I appreciate, you know, that both of you uh, have come on and shared your your humanness, like your face to the public so that people can see you. It's one of the reasons why I like to bring on uh, candidates to just try to help people uh, because they don't see us uh, as actual human beings. They see us, uh, the abuse that I know we all live in experience in our lives is not easy to navigate. And I appreciate that you guys uh, excuse me, that you ladies, uh, Dr. J corrected me on air with that, so I've got to do better with saying you guys, um, I appreciate that you explain to people that the work of a judge or the work of an elected official is to serve all people. Pro-Black does not mean anti-white. I've continued to say that. And so I know that the work you're both stepping into is so important and, you know, for those of us who have faith in our lives, we will cover you in prayer. And we're thankful for you that you have stepped forward to step into these elected seats uh, to help us bring change across the country. You can see everywhere it's unfolding. So I appreciate that you guys, I appreciate that you ladies have both come on this evening and we are rooting for you through the finish line in the general election. Any final thoughts you want to say before I go to commercial? Just one final thought. Thank you again for having me. Vote Mary Anderson for your Snohomish County Superior Court judge because everyone deserves a good judge. Vote Mary Anderson. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Jamika, any final? Yeah, just thank you again for having me, Cindy. And it was a pleasure spending some time with you, Mary. Uh, good luck in your race. And, uh, you know, I mean, feel free to reach out because we need to, you know, build our community of people who know <laughs> what this this running for office feels like. Um, and so, yeah, just if folks want to get in touch, please do. You can find me on social media at Jamaica for three or on my website at Jamaica for Tacoma.com. Thank you both. Um, we will stay in touch with you and follow your races. We're going to go to commercial and then we'll be right back. Big tobacco thinks they know everything. They think they know you, your community, the places you go, the way that you spend your time. They think they got you all figured out. Down to a formula. A calculation based off of numbers of what they think they know. 
show them they're wrong. Learn more at theythinktheyknowyou.org. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in. They talked to our lender and saved our home because falling on hard times does not have to mean losing your home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHAF.org. The new COVID-19 updated booster provides the best protection available right now. So don't wait. Stay safe this summer and get your updated booster today. To find a free vaccine provider near you, go to kingcounty.gov forward slash vaccine. Hey, I'm Basil Gordon. You may have heard my voice on Hits 106.1 or seen me on Converge Media, but now I'm coming to TV. I'm hosting the newest show on Fox 13 called Back to Basa. Check us out every weekend for the hottest topics, interviews, the latest trends, and uplifting stories. We're going to have so much fun, and teams, we got you too. Back to Basa, Saturday nights, 10.30 on Fox 13, and Sundays at 10 a.m. on Fox 13 Plus. What will it take to get two dozen powerfully passionate individuals to settle their differences as they hold the future of our nation in their hands? Direct from Broadway, this is 1776. August 2nd through 6th. Tickets available at fifthavenue.org. Welcome back to Heartbeat. I'm your host, Cindy Bright. We just uh, had a brief conversation with two candidates that just made it through the primary elections, Mary Anderson, who is running for judge in Snohomish County, and Jamika Scott, who's running for city council in Tacoma. So I'm congratulating to both of them who have made it through the primary, which is no joke to get through, um, as I have talked about many times on air. Let me welcome in uh, my co-host with me this evening, Joy Stanford, Stephanie Coverson, and Aaron Jones. Um, all of us, no, except for Stephanie. Good evening, ladies. How are you all? Good. 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 Yeah. Um, interesting to hear uh, experiences of black candidates again. Um, I did not get a chance to scour any more election results this afternoon, so I don't know how many more black women are out there that we might need to reach out to, but I'd love to get a reaction from the three of you about uh, what's happening to our candidates, Aaron? What are your thoughts? I know, you, <laughs> I know you of the of the three of us, Joy, myself, and Aaron all ran for office, and in the pecking order, Aaron's was the worst. Mine was the second worst, <laughs> and Joy's was the third. So we'll start with you, Aaron. What are your well, thoughts about? Well, the funny thing is that in the primary, I didn't get any of the hate because nobody thought I was viable. And then I won the primary. And then that's literally the hate started three weeks from now. So um, I didn't get any of it because people thought, oh, the black lady, nobody's gonna vote for her anyway. So I didn't get any of that at all until three weeks from now. And, and everything they described is exactly what happened once I won the primary significantly. Um, we had nine people in the race when I first got in, which um, I ran for state superintendent. For those of you who don't know, um, they don't usually have that many candidates. There are a million candidates in our race. Um, and I was the only one that had given a lifetime of service to public education, which is kind of funny that I was also perceived as the one that was not viable. I had been the assistant state superintendent. So like one would think mm. I'd been like the milk and teacher of the year, like all the things that one should do, you think to be viable, um, I was still not 
so the not viable piece was the thing that I heard in the primary was you're not viable, you're not viable, you're not viable. In fact, I had two campaign managers that I tried to pay to serve me who wouldn't take me on because I was not viable. In the end, wow. one of the city council members for Seattle who had heard me speak personally in his home, he made his person support me. So he reached out to his campaign manager and said, you will take Erin Jones on as a, as a candidate um, because I know her, she is viable. <laughs> and had it not been for him, I wouldn't have been able to get a campaign manager. So I did the whole first three months on my own without a manager, which you can't do as an, at a state level race. Um, that, that's a miracle. Anyway, it's, it's the congrats to my team and just all the people across the, the state that it was a real grassroots effort to win that primary. Um, but yeah, the hate was more, it came in September. Yeah. Joy. I think that always, well, I feel like it always happens since I, I ran twice, both 2018 and 2020. In 2018, you know, I was this deer in headlights. You remember that, Cindy, because that's when we met. And we were like, why are we here at this event? <laughs> and Pramila Jayapal's gonna be here. Yay! We're like, are we supposed to take pictures with her? Like, like, you know, we just didn't know. Um, I think what stood out for me was both both of those young ladies said it's, it's just this thing that they're like, they're just like throwing stuff and hopefully it'll it sticks to the wall. So I think somebody gave a spaghetti analogy of it. They're just throwing spaghetti to see if the spaghetti sticks to the wall. So for me, it was like the Dental Association, um, Delta Dental um, recruited Joy to run against me was my opponent's thing. I, I work for Delta Dental as a seasonal worker. So what? Um, and, you know, just things like that. It's like the littlest things. And I ought to, in 2018, was not viable either, uh, Aaron. And because we were like, who's Joyce Stanford? You know, and, and I was like, that's me, you know. No, I've never run. No, I had no idea I would ever run. Um, and so I didn't get a campaign manager till I pass, I like to say, pass the primary. So they want to say, oh, we'll get you a, a campaign manager once you get past the primary. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, you got 46% of the vote or 44% of the vote. She's kind of viable. Oh yeah. So it's like, again, once again, we have to bring all these receipts with us and how good we are. Like, who would not vote for someone, because I voted for you, I would say, who wasn't a teacher, hadn't worked in the industry or, or the environment? Like, what the hell? Why would you not be the most viable person? I'm just going to say this controversial comment. Even the most unqualified Black woman is still better than the majority of some of those uh, mediocre mm -hmm. white men. And you guys will say it. And I, and I just want to give a shout out to those two ladies, both Jamaica and Mary. No one ever takes us up on our, our, our ass to call us, invite us in, ask the questions, get to know us. Very few, I will say no one, very few people take us up on that. Continue to say it though. Continue to invite people in. It's on them to take you up on that offer. But it's kind of sad that very few people take you up on that offer. And 2020 was a shit show, sorry, um, because we were shut down. You have to remember, that was an election where we were shut down. I was 12 hours on the phone, 12 hours on the phone trying to contact voters because you couldn't do face to face. So yeah. continue to, to reach out to folks. Stephanie, you have uh, some good thoughts. You know, Stephanie, 
uh, and I uh, both are uh, former chief people officers. And so we've had to sit in the business world where uh, the equivalent of you're not a viable candidate or wait your turn, because I kept hearing wait your turn when I ran. Um, but we talked to us about that whole lens too, because that terminology, like the way that the candidates explained it, these narratives that have been perpetuated forever, it still plays out in the business world today as well. And so this attack on black women to be able to have earning power and prosper, talk to us a little bit about that, Stephanie, because you still have two feet and two hands and three eyes and ears in that whole circle of, um, yeah, what thoughts do you have about that? So, you know, I think uh, Jamika, you know, hit the nail on the head when she talked about the weaponization of our identities as Black women and as Black people. So, um, and I think Mary spoke to that too, that, you know, supporting Black Lives Matter is a dirty word. You know, that's a horrible thing to be doing or um, a desire to hold the police accountable for the disproportionate um, shootings of unarmed Black people and assaults and all of those things. Um, beyond that, though, I will say that, you know, the political game is a microcosm of our greater society. And so there is a book that was first uh, gifted to me when I took uh, a position in education, and it, it's called Presumed Incompetent. And it's about Black women in academia um, who, despite having PhDs, ed docs, uh, you know, a lifetime of experience as subject matter experts in their field, um, incompetent. The only reason you're here is because you're black, affirmative action, sort of all of these different yeah. uh, types of things. So I, I think um, in the political realm, this is really um, a page out of that you know, that that general playbook. And I think it really boils down to a sense of entitlement. So my position, my elected office, mm -hmm. uh, my admission into this college or uh, competitive, uh, you know, K through 12 school, that there's a sense of entitlement. And when very well, qualified uh, black women um, step into these spaces, um, one, I think that there is a knowledge um, at some level or an awareness of the very intentional barriers and sort of these backroom uh, extremely racist and misogynistic conversations that go on about us as individuals or just collectively, you know, as uh, black women. Mm. And so there's this knowledge of this and I think uh, awareness of this and uh, this idea that uh, we are the most uh, educated demographic in the United States. And for us to be stepping in these spaces and still being called 
unqualified, uh, uh, unable, can't do sort of all of these different things. Um, I think there's a fear there um, because we cannot be mediocre. Right. We cannot step into spaces um, in a place of mediocrity. Right. Because basically when you say it's not someone's turn or it's so and so's turn, there's an acknowledgement of mediocrity right there. Mm. Right. Because then we're having a conversation about like who has been my friend the longest, who has worked on campaigns the longest or who has been in this space or who I went to college with or who I belong to the country club with, you know, all of those different things. Mm -hmm. And so which has absolutely nothing to do with um, the qualifications and the skill set for serving in public office or uh, holding a position in an organization. Mm-hmm. I was talking to uh, someone, a black woman, professional black woman last week, and she asked me this question. She said, why do we always have to d- produce our resumes in a conversation with people? Like clearly when we've accomplished, you know, A, B, C, and D, we've done something right. So, you know, the gaslighting that goes on and the attacks against uh, questioning, you know, wanting to make you believe that you're dumb or stupid because you think different than how they think. It's just a common practice and it's fatiguing to have to be on the receiving end of that day in and day out. And so, I, you know, we watch people step forward and let's just talk broader across country now. Look at what's going on. Yeah. Like I must, I must say, I, I almost when I saw the justice DOJ person assigned to the Trump case, I literally fell on my back and spin in a circle and was breakdancing because it's ironic. The people that they criticize are always the people, the black women who have to fix all the stuff and who are qualified to come in and do it. Now, I we got to cover that woman in prayer, too, because she's she's going to get it full throttle, right? They're going to do everything they can to dismantle and discredit her. Um, Yeah. And let let me jump in there um, because this idea of us doing this hard work and the heavy lift and basically being on the glass cliff, if she did not step into it and do that work, she would be lit up for Mm -hmm. failing to do her job. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is uh, definitely an act of courage and fortitude that she is moving forward. Mm-hmm. But lest not forget that had she not do that work, she would have been uh, accused of falling down on her job, being incompetent, being a, an affirmative action elected official, mm-hmm. sort of all of those things. So yeah. in some ways, um, she did not have a choice. Mm hmm. Aaron, what were you going to say about that? I've learned to read your expressions, too. <laughs> no, it's, it's just funny because in a way we can't win, right? Like mm-hmm. either. So, so yeah, you have to be the smartest one in the room. Like we have to be the most like I never could be average at anything. And which in a lot of ways has made me great at a lot of things because I never have been allowed to be just average. Right. So you work your butt off um, because you have to be the best, but then you're the best and you're seen as 
um, thinking you're better than everybody else. And it's like, um, I, I mean, I love what you said, Cindy, about um, there's no winning here because I think, and I think for me, how I live through it is I just, I want to be the best. No, no matter how people respond to me, I want to be the best for the people I serve, period. And for the God that I serve, period. And so however you show up to me at this point, and I think I was cured of caring about what other people think from running by running for office, that absolutely cured me of really caring. My husband says all the time, don't, if you would not seek out these people for advice, don't take any time to consider their critiques of you. You would not seek them out for advice. And that's just such great advice. And so I want to show up and be the best consultant, be the best advocate, be the best educator. Um, always, I'm going to strive to be better tomorrow than I was today, because that's what people deserve from me. Whatever you want to say to me, folks, <laughs> um, I just have learned to not care about that. But it, it does suck that we're put in so many positions where we can't we can't be average, but then we also can't be great. And mm. and I don't I don't know that that white folks understand. I think women understand that to a certain extent in certain industries. I think even white women can feel that to an extent. But when you lay that on top of being a black woman, um, I, there's an extra level there that even white women can't understand. Mm -hmm. It's a heavy lift. I, I think that's what it is. It's a, so it's a heavy a little lift. bit on that. Um, so I'm thinking about though attribution bias. And so to this idea of, for example, white women sort of understanding this uh, disparity or having to be twice as good to get half the credit. I'm thinking about attribution bias, basically, which says when something positive happens to me, it is my hard work. It is my ingenuity. It is my steadfastness. But when something negative happens to me, it's because of factors outside of my control. But when I'm looking at other people, the reverse is true that something positive happened to Stephanie. So it's luck. It's affirmative action. It she knew somebody sort of all of those different things. When bad things happened to her, what did she do? And the reason that I raise that is because I want to go back to um, Lena and McKinsey's uh, corporate uh, state of women um, in corporate America. And when you dig through that report and it talks about how in particular black women do not feel supported by their managers. And then when you dig into that a little further, um, there's always a little footnote um, that talks about how white women managers are the least likely to support people they work with or that are working on their team and black women in particular. So, yes, there is absolutely an understanding of having to bring your A game. And there also tends to be, uh, based on this longest running study of women in the workplace that we have in this country, um, this tension with white women um, not supporting the careers of black women and uh, sort of this correlation of uh, derailment um, of these careers. Well, it's the women's rights really movement too, right? right. I mean, it's Absolutely. the women's rights movement too. Like yes. as long as we're helpful to their cause, 
Oh, they're on board with us. But Every as soon day. as we're not helpful to their cause, or they see, and I would go to something that I talk about a lot. Americans are very scarcity mentality mindset. So if if I give you something, then it's taken away from me. Instead of if I feed each of you a piece of pizza, you can be fed now to go build your own pizza and maybe actually your own pizza store so that now we can multiply. But so many people in this country, we think we have one little piece of the puzzle. And if I give any of my part away and I see white women have caught, have gotten caught up in that scarcity mentality in the same way that a, a lot of white, that's where white supremacy culture is so dangerous for everyone um, because it, it causes us to get stuck in what's good for me only instead of thinking about what's good for us. Absolutely. I keep saying this and is I why, this is why, oh, sorry, Stephanie. Go ahead, Joy. I said, this oh, is okay. why I, I look back on my career and I can see that so clearly with both Stephanie and Aaron said, there was this, I had a manager at a very huge healthcare system that shall not be named, but she was afraid when I did good. At least I felt that way. Like, why are you, you're the manager. You should be pushing me out there to do the best I can do and the best I can be. But there was this, you know, I had to tap down your light a little bit because you're just, you're asking too many questions. Your light is shining too bright, you know, but, you know, I, I can't give you all your, you know, all the credit because then that doesn't make me, it's like, I look at my staff and I'm like, you make me better. You make our team better. What can I do to support that and support you? But I definitely can see that. And it's so incredible now to work for an organization where my manager's like, what, what do you need? What can I do for you? Get out there. I don't need to be there. You be there. You're the person. Do do what you need to do. You know, and and so it's it's just different when you have that and then when you don't have that. So yeah. I definitely can see that in corporate America and nonprofits. I yeah. heard I heard somebody use a phrase today. I'll I'll get to you, Stephanie. Um I heard a phrase today that somebody said, when many women climb the ladder, they're pulling the ladder up with them. So they're not even allowing another woman to get on it and help her rise. And that's crappy. Yeah. And I thought that was a very vivid, accurate description. You know, I wonder, you know, what is it that we do? Like, you know, you know, back to our candidates that come on. I mean, when you run for public office, that becomes part of the territory, which is so unfortunate that you have to go in, but it's literally our lives every single day. And so how do we navigate and what do we say to other, you know, we've all said this on air before, we're the mature ones now and our maturity has allowed us to not react as much anymore, but learn to respond to these situations because we have to be careful about harm that can be done to us. Um, What thoughts do you all have about, you know, we're heading into I mean, we've been in it for a hot minute since 2016, but it's the it's getting thicker, right? The the crap is just like everywhere. And where do we find safety? Where do we find support? Who has our backs? Who will believe us when we speak? Like it's so bad, you can't even we, we can't even say something and be believed anymore. What do we do in situations like this? 
I think we have to be courageous. So I am um, going to be speaking to superintendents of color in, at Howard University in two weeks. And we were just talking to the executive for the, the Superintendents Association. And one of the things that I said to him as we're planning for my keynote is this is this requires courage. And one of the things I'm telling any leaders of color is you cannot do this work on your own. You've got to find your people that you are linking arms with. We absolutely cannot. And I would say to black women in particular, we cannot lead by ourselves. And so it means you've got to have your crew around you who are going to lift you up when you need lifting up, who are going to correct you with kindness, with love when you are messing up because you will mess up and you need to have your sisters in your corner who can say, hey, girl, girl, come here, come here a second. We got to We got to correct that. Pull that thing down off Twitter um, or X, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> but I think <laughs> I think my my advice for people is you've got to have your crew. And then what are you doing to feed your soul right now? Because you can know that you know that you know that you're in the right career, that you are in that leadership role, that you've got there um, on your own merits. But if you are not doing the things that you need to feed your soul every day, you will not survive because it is. The crap is thick everywhere. The attacks, expect them. Like, don't walk in anywhere thinking you're not going to be attacked. Like, assume the attacks are coming. But you got to be strong. You're, you have to physically, spiritually, mm -hmm. mentally be strong. So what are you doing every day? Like the Bible says, put on the full armor of God. That's right. What are you doing to put your armor on every day? And that has to be by intention every day. Mm. Yeah. And I would, I would add to that um, to start reframing. And so one uh, example of that, you know, there's a lot of conversation about imposter syndrome. And Every time someone starts talking to me and other black women about imposter syndrome, like it just drives me up a wall. Right. Because that is blaming the person that is receiving the messages that they don't belong. They're not enough. They don't deserve this. Uh, you know, your goals are too lofty, sort of all of those different things. And so if we part of this, when we talk about putting armor on, from my perspective, is starting to re like start asking these questions, like, is it imposter syndrome or am I constantly receiving messages every day right. that I don't belong here? So word, action, indeed. Um it is also about acknowledging and recognizing that it is absolutely uh, uh, untenable to uh, be twice as good all the time, right? And so this idea of Black excellence um, all the time is exhausting, and we are starting um to see more black women um, battling depression, anxiety, uh, other uh, physical health challenges. Um, and so while, you know, black girl magic is magic, part of that magic is resting. Part of that magic is being and finding and being in community to what Aaron was talking about, being in community with people that are cheering for you. And as my grandmother would say, pulling your coattail when you're uh, 
you know, maybe not making the best decisions because you've got a lot of weight um, and heaviness on your shoulders and finding those moments for joy. And the other thing I'm going to say is we need to start building coalitions, mm. right? Because despite um, despite the millions of us that are here in the state of Washington, a lot of us don't vote, right? And so it's not like uh, 95% of Washingtonians are out here voting, right? And so who are we talking to about voting? Who are we bringing this message to? And once we get these folks into office, how many times are we writing letters or showing up in Olympia um, and having conversations with our elected officials, whether they be state, local, national, all of the things. And mm. so we do not have to turn um, 50%, 40%, 30%, even 20%. Like if we could change the minds um, and make the case to 5% of the people that were on the fence, um, mm. I think that we could make huge headway. Mm -hmm. Yesterday's turnout was less than 30%. Mm -hmm. um, in some races, no more than 300, 350 people voted in some of the smaller towns. So you've got women of color running in a small town where only 333 votes were cast and she got 150. Right. And right. that is ridiculous. Literally, I was like, where are the people? If there's 5,000 people in your town and only 300 people voted in your race? You know, I would say yes and. Um, yes, the it's, it's political power. Anytime anybody asks me, what can we do? And I always say the only way to change this is through political power. And the ignoring it or thinking that one election has created the election from 2016 when we were told, let's, let's back it up, we were told by Anita Hill about Uncle Clarence. We were told about, but we don't believe black women, right? No. We were told by Hillary Clinton about what number 45 was about, but her emails. We never listen to, like our voices are just discarded and not believed and there's always... So here we are, right? But the problem I see that many people have is that both political parties have created so much harm to black people and or are not solving the problems for us. And so they continue to come to us to ask us to organize and do all the things that we automatically do. But in the meantime, the, you know, we can't get any relief from debt, you know, student debt, but we can't get any basis of support. Now, Mary, you know, I had talked to her before just to speak with her about coming on the show. And I didn't ask her this on air and I didn't want to, I didn't want to intentionally, and I'll, I'll be a little cryptic here, but who she's had to go to, to get support to help her in her judge race is not who you think would come show up for her. So this is a problem that we can't, we don't have a basis of support anywhere. 
I think so Stephanie I would, hit on the head. Oh, sorry, Aaron. I think Stephanie hit on the head. We need to build coalitions because, like you said, who's showing up for her is not the typical who you would think would be showing up for her. But where are the other Black judges, the other Black women, the other people of color who are in those positions who could endorse her, who could um, help her in her campaign? Where are those folks? So I want to also um, call that. So I don't know who's watching right now, but if you are part of the state's Democratic Party and you're watching right now, I just want to invite us. So there's a couple of things I want to say here. Number one, I think the state party needs to do a better job of educating people about why the primary election is an important election to vote in. Because I, I, I don't think there's a lot of education. And I personally did not understand the power of that primary until I ran. So I, man, y'all, all of our ballots from my house went in yesterday. Like we made sure even our children, we turned in their ballots yesterday because I now understand how important it is. But I think there's got to be a better job um, of the of the party and the party needs to do that work. There are people being paid at the state party. They need to be doing that work. Here's the other thing I would offer. And I know Cindy and I have talked about this because we ran as Democrats. The Democratic Party says it cares about equity. It says it wants more people of color to run and yet does not with intention support people of color in their campaigns. It does not support them with education. It does not. And so one of the things, and I was just on King, King 5 News, yeah, King 5 News two days ago, talking about the word woke. And I'm just going to go back to that spot that I did, because I think especially King County, which is the seat, if you're talking about statewide campaigns, mm -hmm. King County decides who is going to be our next mm -hmm. governor, who's mm -hmm. going to be. King County has the largest voting population and King County loves to talk progressive loves to say that it's all about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, but I don't see the action of that. So it's really easy to put up a Black Lives Matter sign. It's really easy to say you're a progressive, but where are you actually investing in those people that you say you care about, mm -hmm. right? And I, I, so my, my invitation, at least the Democratic Party who says it cares, the Republican Party, I'm not holding you to the same standard because you don't say you care about us. The Democratic Party does say it cares about us. And so I just, I want to challenge, it's an invitation to y'all. It's an invitation to y'all. Put your money where your mouth is. That's Put right. your time, invest your time in those, in us, in us who are running, um, because this is what you say you want. And then we get there and, and we didn't experience support, the three of us. Um, so now is the time for something new. So it's my invitation to you. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. And I, I see you, Stephanie, I'll get to you in just a second. I'm going to echo a couple things you said, Erin, because to re-educate the Democrats that um, they won't touch Democrat on Democrat races. So that translates into, I'm not supporting equity. All right, so let's just be, um, the fact that they don't step in and help behind the scenes, like the Republicans help all their people behind the scenes. So they don't step in and fund the campaigns or push the donations in the direction of the candidates that we need to have in. They just wanna let us duke it out so that um, because their narrative is that, well, I have to, we don't know who we're going to have to work with in the party. And so they keep their hands off. Do you know how many phone calls I have made over the last few years to the Democrats to ask them to fund? In fact, this is why I was so happy when they brought Dr. J in 
to fund the kind of support that you're talking about, Aaron, because not just the candidates, but look what's happening to them when they get in office. The, right. the churn of our Black electeds, the who Paula Sardinas was on and told us about the, the chaos in the caucus. There's no organization development work done on them. There's no mentorship. There's no way. To, you can't go from here into a leadership position with no support, no backing, no mentorship, nothing that they're just put in to sink or swim. And so the viciousness develops in um, po politicians because they're in survival mode to make it through. Stephanie, what were you going to say? The one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, that I was going to add back to this idea of, you know, woke and Black Lives Matter and all of these things. Um, it would be amazing if the Democratic Party actually embraced that. And so part of the problem of the Democratic Party, I think, is being reactive to the shenanigans and language from yeah. the Republican Party. Yeah. So there is nothing wrong with wanting individuals um, to have livable wage job, right. housing, food, social justice. Like there's nothing wrong with any of these things. And so even within the Democratic Party, whose base is black communities within Washington state and across the nation, they treat some of this language um, like it is a hot potato and there is something wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is important to uh, not only support uh uh, people of color attempting to run for office and be public servants, it is also important um, to block and tackle for your constituents who may not understand the process, mm -hmm. the primary process, to mm -hmm. Aaron's point. And I know when I dropped my ballot uh, off at the, the ballot box, I had to look around because there was nobody there. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so are they coming to pick up? Are they coming to get my ballot? They is will. August Is this August 1st? Oh, I know they will. But the point is that there was nobody like it. There should have been a line right on the regular general election. Mm -hmm. If you drop your envelope off. You know, not only is there a line of cars waiting to do that, sometimes they have the people with the little vests on to make sure everybody's playing nice. There was nobody there. Mm -hmm. And I think the other aspect of this, so we are 100 percent, you know, mail and ballot. But in other mm -hmm. state and states and local elections, we're not. So how are you ensuring that your constituents are not being blocked from the ballot box, mm. are not being sent around. I am just not seeing um, sort of the level of uh, intentionality around making sure that our democratic processes allow for everybody who is eligible to vote to vote. I'm mm. seeing a lot of talking heads. Mm -hmm. But I'm not seeing any investment in the infrastructure mm -hmm. and in the people that they're wanting to bring out to the ballot box to vote 
Mm-hmm. To, to and we can't just them. care once every four years, which is no. the, what the Democrats yeah. tend to do is every four years they reach out to the black community. And I can remember when I ran during, right. And I, I ran during one of those four years and I said to them, if you were only caring about us right now, shame on you. Like you have yep. to be invested in us for the other four years. The other thing that in our state that's really important that I, I just, I want to call out to anyone watching, if you have someone who has a felony in their record and they've already served their time, so, they are le- they can legally vote. The day before the election, when I ran in 2016, I walked the streets of Tacoma in the black neighborhood because nobody had walked that yet. And I was like, how dare y'all wait till the day before the election to walk these streets? And I can't tell you the numbers of black men that I met who did not know the day before the election that they could have voted because they had a felony and they didn't know that in our state they could vote because they'd already served their time, they'd already done, um, they thought they could never vote. And so we've got to do some re-education too for our community to make sure that people know they can legally vote. And and communities already know this. Communities are already talking about, you only come when you, during election season, when you need our vote. That's the only time we see you. What are you doing those other two years? What are you doing those other four years? They are already saying it. So much, so much to talk about. Ladies, we are at the hour uh, here. Uh, we have continued to have these discussions with each other um, and on air every week. We are also, we should tell our audience that we are also planning to Aaron's point about coalitions. We have decided that we're doing a show on August the 16th. So heartbeat on August the 16th will be about coalition building with black women. So more to come on that, because we know that we have to do some collective work together uh, and we have to absolutely not work against each other. There's too much at stake anymore and it has to go beyond narrative beyond talking. Ladies, thank you for joining me this evening to continue this dialogue and to our audience who joined us this evening and who will be watching the show. Thank you for your continued support. We are continuing to raise these issues and keeping and keep them in the forefront. We at Converge Media give voice to black people. And so we will continue to do this on behalf of all of us. Thank you all for joining. See you all next Wednesday. Have a good evening. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.